Listen, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 2 as you're turning there. Uh, I want to read this thing to you. Um, it's a little, little joke, uh, kind of a dad joke, but I thought it was funny uh, in its own way. Uh, what, what could, why couldn't the green pepper practice archery? Anybody know the answer? Because it didn't have a habanero. That's bad, man. That's bad. That's bad. That's a bad joke. At the bottom of this, someone said, please don't unfriend me. If you think that's a really bad joke and you're thinking about unfriending the church, that was Julie. My wife sent that to me, not me. <laughs> oh, dad jokes or something else, man. They're funny because they're dumb, so dumb, right? Uh, Anyway, go with me to Acts chapter 2. As I said, we're going to start reading from there. Acts chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 38, but I'm going to set this up. You know, in Genesis, we know that we talked about last week where God first begins to talk about family. He said, I created them, what? Male and female. And he said, listen, I want you to do a couple things. I want you to, to, to begin to establish my rule, number one, on the earth. And how you establish that is by, I want you to go to work. I want you to be productive. I want you to to take over this planet. I want you to be productive here. And then I want you to be fruitful. I want you to have children. And he begins to talk about family right at the beginning. In Genesis, God starts with family, with human beings. In Revelations, the end of time ends with all of us in heaven as one big family. 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 I've done uh, uh, funeral services for different Christians that uh, incredible people, uh, man, incredible lovers of God that have gone on before us to heaven. And I did one recently for a man. I hope his family doesn't mind me talking about this. Glenn Finch. Man, Glenn was so focused on his children and his children's children. The Bible says a good man. Everybody say a good man. This is in God's eyes. A good man in God's eyes thinks about his children's children. And leaves an inheritance to him. Not just an inheritance, a financial inheritance. They do that too. But that's not the inheritance he's talking about. He's talking about an inheritance of the knowledge of God. God will take care of the finances if they'll pass on the knowledge of God to them. The honor of God. A good man in God's eyes thinks about not only his children, but thinks about his children's children. Thinks at least three generations. At least three generations, a good man in God's eyes. God's all about family. And so he starts with family. He ends with family. But right in the middle of this Bible, it's family, 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 family. And also in Genesis, I always wondered, why did God pick Abraham? This is, he says in Genesis 2, 24, I'm sorry, uh, in the book of Genesis, he talks about why he picked Abraham. Uh, let me find the scripture. Genesis 18, 19. It says, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after, after me, and they will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. He picked Abraham to be the father of many nations for one reason and one reason alone. He trusted that Abraham would teach his children and his children's children to know the Lord. Family matters to God. 
I said, family matters to God. He wanted to build all of the, of, of human, the human race based upon the foundation of the Lordship of Christ. And he says in Psalms 128.1 or 127.1, unless the Lord build the house, you labor in vain. He's saying the foundation of every family has to be the Lordship of Christ and you can't build anything of value without that being the foundation. But once that's the foundation, then you can begin to build something of great value. Of great value. A family. A family that honors God, that fulfills the will of God for their lives. A family that passes down the love of God. The love of God and the fear of God from generation to generation to generation. And a family that spends all of heaven together forever. It's about family. So right here in the middle, when the first church is birthed, the first church, that we know that they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They come out, a bunch of them, there's 150 at least, men, women, children, all speaking in tongues and praying and praising God in all these languages they do not know. And the people hear them and the men of the city come and Peter begins to preach. It's the first message of the New Testament church. And he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, they said, they said, Peter, what do we need to be saved? And Peter replied, repent and return to God. And each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one to have your sins removed. Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit for God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your families. The first message he preaches when they say, what do we need to be saved? He said, first, you gotta, you gotta be ministered to yourself. It starts with you. Your submission to God. Your receiving of the forgiveness of your sins through the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. It begins with you. And then when it, when it happens to you, then I want you to the, do the next thing, which is minister to who? The stranger down the street? Person at work? No. He goes right to, I want you to take that to your family. I want you to take that message to your family. We see example after example of this in the first church in the book of Acts. Go with me to Acts chapter 16. You're right there in two. Acts chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. It says, when the Sabbath day came, we went outside the gates of the city to the nearby river, for there appeared to be a house of prayer and worship there. Sitting on the riverbank, we struck up a conversation with some of the women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia, a businesswoman from the city of Thyatira, who was a dealer of exquisite purple cloth and a Jewish convert. While Paul shared the good news with her, God opened her heart to receive Paul's message. She devoted herself to the Lord, and we baptized her and her entire... Her and her family. Adam and Eve and their family. Family, family, family family. I always say my first relationship is my relationship with God. My next relationship is my relationship with my wife and my family. Those are the two most important relationships. Those are the two most important ministries. My ministry between God and I and the ministry between God and my family. The church doesn't come first. I said the church doesn't come first. It has a place and we're going to talk about its place, but it doesn't come first. Matter of fact, there is no Christian church. I said there is no Christian church without first a Christian mom and dad and a Christian family. God built the church out of family. We'll read that here in just a moment. I'm going to read something to you. 
because I want to give you, I want to give you uh, uh, just a thought that you might want to hang on to. But in the Roman civilization, in the Roman civilization, they worshipped a god, a god called Dis. It's two words, Dispata, and that was the god of of the infernal, uh, of the infernal uh, entity on in the middle of the earth. It's the same as the Greek god Hades. It's Satan. His name was Dis. That's why we have things like discourage. Things like disrespect. And in families, now we have a word. It's called dysfunctional. Anytime dis is involved, this ancient god of the Romans and the Greeks, Satan himself who they worshipped, you'll see dissatisfaction, dis this and dis that. When that word is attached, they're really testifying that Satan has caused damage to this, discouraged, dissatisfied, disrespected, dysfunctional. That Satan has done something to their courage, their satisfaction, their respect levels. And this word dysfunctional family has come from no one but Satan himself to testify before God that I'm destroying the family. Because he knows that God established marriage to produce family and that family, family builds the church and the church builds the community and the community builds the state and the state builds the nation. Always comes back to family. I don't, I don't care where you're at right now. You might be divorced and single. You might have been divorced three times. You might be in a, a mixed, blended family. I don't care where you're at right now. Listen, you start where you're at, and you start standing your ground. If you're divorced and single right now, you make a statement. God, I'm going to build my house on the foundation that Jesus Christ is my Lord, and he's the Lord of this house that I'm living in now. Wherever you're at, single mom, single dad, I don't care where you're at, you establish that now in your home. Because without it, you'll always be dysfunctional. The God of Hades, the God of, of the Inferno, he will always rule over your household instead of the God of heaven and the God who loves you. You have to establish this foundation, this relationship between you and him. And listen, the kids don't determine the atmosphere of the home, the adults do. When I talk about a Christian culture in a home, I think of more a Christian atmosphere. Why? Why do I say atmosphere? Because the Bible talks about the, that the word spirit means breath. It's in the atmosphere. The spiritual realm is in the atmosphere. It talks about demons in the, in the sky, in the atmosphere. It talks about heaven is up in the atmosphere. Listen, you need to build an atmosphere of, of the spirit of God in your home. And don't look for someone else to do it. Don't say, well, what he does or she does, you do it. You establish it. And you first got to build that atmosphere around you. You know, I was talking the other day to a group of people and I said, you can build an atmosphere around yourself that people know. I, I believe, I believe because it, it just doesn't happen. I believe that I built an atmosphere around my life that says I'm married to Julie Smotherman and I'm not open for business. And those of you that are married know. You see people that are married that don't have that atmosphere. You can see they're open for business. And then there's also those you can see that door is closed. 
Amen? There's an atmosphere you can build, and God wants us to build a Christian atmosphere around our life. Not a perfect, we're not gonna be perfect, but our atmosphere needs to be perfect. That, hey, when you get around me, you're gonna get around the Holy Spirit. Not because I'm beating you over the head with a Bible or preaching to you, or I got a five-ton cross hanging around my neck. You know, hitting you over the head with it. No, it's because you just get around me, my words, my attitude, my, my thoughts, my, my, even how, how I handle when I mess up, when I, how I apologize, how I do things, how I approach things. Man, it's the atmosphere that I create. God wants us to create a Christian atmosphere in our home where the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit reigns in us and in our homes. Why? Because our children need it. Our children need it. I asked at the marriage conference, the Joy Marriage Conference, how many of you are in a blended family? 80% of the people raised their hand. I'd say it was at least 80%. That means Satan has, has done a good job of trying to destroy people's lives, destroy families, and that people are trying to fight back. That's why they came. They're fighting back. That's why you go to the Joy of Marriage Conference. You say, hey, listen, I'm not going to take this laying down. I'm going to get all the information and knowledge I can. I'm going to grow, and I'm going to grow our marriage so that we can grow the Christian atmosphere. The Spirit of God is present in our home so that our children's children can be blessed. Because God's all about family. It all begins and ends with family. So you have a man there, and then you have this woman. Then you have another situation where Paul and Silas are in prison, and the prison doors are opened uh, because of their worshiping God in the middle of their darkness. They're worshiping God, and God always shows up. If you'll worship him, if you'll believe in him in the middle of your junk, man, God will show up in the middle of your junk. And he did. They're in prison, been beaten. He shows up, opens all the doors. The jailer's about to kill himself. And Paul says, stop, we haven't left. He comes in and sees it. He falls down at his feet and says, what do I gotta do? And he takes them out, cleans them up, feeds them. He said, you need to get saved. And guess what happens? He gets saved, him and his whole family. Family, family, family. Then we have the centurion, the Roman guard. This is every walk of life, from a businesswoman to a jailer to a soldier to, to all, the men of this, all the men and women of the city of Jerusalem that are there. I mean, it's every walk of life. They're all ministering to them and their family. Because family matters. Family matters. What foundation we build our families on, the atmosphere in our home we build our family, uh, families on matters. Um, there's two things that can destroy a family and cause trauma to children. Some of you have experienced it. Some of you haven't. There's two very traumatic things. One is the presence of evil. When there's evil in a home, where there's abuse, where there's addiction, where there's um, physical, sexual abuse, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, where there's mental abuse, where there's any kind of evil like that, uh, man, it, it traumatizes children. Um, it traumatizes them. And a lot, and I deal with the adults. I deal with the 30, 40, 20 year old adults. I deal with the teenagers that have been traumatized by childhood because of the presence of evil in their home. And then there's another way I see children traumatized the absence of good. 
There is no molestation. There is no, they're eating a square meal every day. There's a roof over their head. There's no abuse. There's just nothing. There's no, there's no God there, so there's no goodness there. It's like, if I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. And it's just kind of humdrum. I'm just grinding it out. My parents just kind of tolerate each other. You know, dad's always mad. Mom's always sad. It's just kind of, but they stay together and it's just nothing good's happening there. That causes as much damage as the presence of evil. God wants us to flip that on its head. He wants there to be a presence of good and the absence of evil in our homes. He wants us to flip it around. And the only way there can be a presence of good is with God's there, for he is good and good alone. If his, if his presence is invited, if the Holy Spirit is invited there in you, and in your home. And that doesn't mean it'll be perfect and that your kids will do everything you trained them to do. But it will mean this, that if you train them to love the Lord and you're not living a hypocritical life. You know, the kids that I deal with, that the people I deal with, the adults that hate church are not those that didn't go to church. It's the exact opposite. It's those that did and mama and daddy acted one way at church and they got home and all heck broke loose. They hated each other, they cussed, they fought. Dad's cheating on mama, but they got in church, it's all smiles and handshakes and they're the perfect little family. And at home, it's disastrous. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord did not establish that house because mom and daddy didn't choose it. Life's about choices. And the ones that I see hate church growing up are the ones that live in that hypocrisy at home. The pastor's kids I know that hate church see this hypocrisy at home and it drives them from the church. They see the church and their parents and God as a hypocrite. Don't do that to your children. You'll sow a seed that you will not like. Church isn't gonna be perfect. My home's not perfect. Your home's not gonna be perfect, but we can be Christian. The Bible says, Jesus said, if you love me, you obey me. He said, if you love me, you obey me. Obedience is an act of faith that says, I love you, God, and I believe you love me. So I'm gonna obey your word. I trust you that everything you say to not do is good for me. Everything you say to do is good for me. And not just good for me, but me and my family. And when me and my family are right with you and we come to church, then the church will be right with you. When the church is right with you, then the city will be right with you. When the city's right with you, the state will be right with you. And if the state's right with you, the nation will be right with you. I'm going to read something to you from a friend of mine. A pastor, friend that's on a text thread with me. He sent this from a a believer. A believer that claimed to be a believer but acted so differently than that. But now their eyes are opened. Once upon a time, I supported gay marriage. I'd be the first to give a giant eye roll when someone conservative would utter the inevitable. What's next? Allowing marriage between a person and an animal? You know, guys, there's some evil stuff going on in our community right now. People know I have spoken up about the magistrate judge thing going on. Um, I'm saying this in this service because it's on tape. I want people to know it's on tape. And there's a, there's a young lesbian woman running for that judge. And then there's a heterosexual Christian man running. And they put a sign up right across the street from our church. And I'm telling you, they did that. That was evil. That was a shot. 
And it's okay, take, they can take their shots. But I'm, but I'm telling you right now, if you call yourself a believer and you're voting for that, you're in trouble. I said, you're in trouble. You're gonna invite ruin on you and your household. No one's perfect running for office, but we can't vote in people who blatantly and openly live in defiance to the will of God. So she said, come on, stop being ridiculous. Do whatever you want if it doesn't hurt others. But now, big capital now, a man can be celebrated as woman of the year. A man can be, record, be a record holder in women's sports. There are 68 gender identity types. There are 46 types of sexual attraction, including pedophiles who are now called minor attracted persons. Maps, I've talked about it before. 68 gender identity types now. Why would, God, why would Satan want to create all that confusion and all that, all, sow all those lies? Why? Because he knows God made us male and female, and that's the only two genders on the planet. All the rest of this is hocus pocus. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It is. It, that's, just the, that's the only way I know how to describe it. 48 types of sexual attraction. And they're trying to normalize adult attraction to children. The new Supreme Court justice they have up, she repeatedly, repeatedly lowered sentencing for child pornographers and other people participating repeatedly. Lowered their sin because there is a whole group of people in our nation that are involved behind closed doors and all this stuff. You think that's all a bunch of conspiracy theory? It's coming out. Two producers at CNN, Disneyland, four employees just recently arrested and, and charged with uh, distributing and participating in child pornography. I'm telling you guys, there's an undercurrent of this sexual abuse of children that's in our nation. It runs deep and wide. It's not a conspiracy theory. The truth is starting to come out. Because it always will. And they want to normalize it before they all get arrested. You'd be surprised the actresses and actors and politicians who went to Jeffrey Epstein's island. You know some of them. He said, there are no longer mothers, she said, only birthing persons. If you oppose any of it, you are a hateful, bigoted, and phobic person. She said this, I apologize to all I eye-rolled at in the past. You were right, clearly. If we don't have a moral line, then there is no longer a line to cross. She said, I'm now committed to bringing back the line. My heart still hurts for those struggling with these issues, and so does mine. But I will not support the normalization of them. If this is progress, then I don't want it anymore. People are starting to wake up and open their eyes. In Maryland, they're trying to pass the 28-day law. That means 28 days after a child that is born from an abortion, if they're born alive, they have 28 days to let it die or to choose to kill it. In Maryland right now, you can Google it later. Right now in the state of Maryland. Guys, there is no bottom. There'll be 100 gender identities. There's no bottom. There's no bottom. There'll be marriage. They're already marrying people and animals in England. Official married filed documents. People marrying their dogs, their cats. Guys, it's already, it's not, hap it's not gonna happen. It's already happening. That's why I'm talking about the Christian family. We need Christian families. We need to raise our children up that they know the difference between the truth and a lie. And the only way you'll know the difference between the truth and a lie is if you know the word of God. 
you got to have something to compare it to. When children are not raised to go to church, when they're not raised to love God, when trouble comes, even if they stray away from him, when trouble comes, they have no one to turn to. They have no truth to base it on. There's no opposition fighting in their life for their life. But when they're raised to know God in a Christian home with a Christian atmosphere, with Christian grandma and grandpa and Christian mom and dad and Christian uncles and aunts and Christian cousins and Christians all around them, Christian friends, they're raised in this Christian atmosphere, they know the difference between the truth and a lie. And when they're in trouble, they'll have a place to run to because our Father will always be there waiting for them with open arms. Always. But when they have nothing to contrast that with, nothing to compare that with, no place to run, no place to turn, man, they're hopeless. They're hopeless. But our God is the God of hope. But we have to teach that to them. The Bible says, teach your children. And you don't teach them with just the words you say. My father used to look at me and say, boy, don't smoke. Don't drink. And I drank and smoked. I did what he did, not what he said. It's not what we say. It's how we live our life every day that matters to our children. Do you pray with your children? Is there any kind of emphasis that God is more important than anything else in this household? Do they know that? Do they know that by how you love each other and how you treat each other, how you serve each other? Do they know that? In 1 Timothy 5.8 it says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Anyone, that's male or female, mom or dad. If you, if, you, if you are not taking care of your own, providing for them a spiritual atmosphere, resources in showing them how relationships work, and not all of us came from functional families. We came from dysfunctional. Satan had a role in our childhood. But that doesn't mean we have to repeat that behavior. We can draw the line of the blood of Jesus and say, no more, I'm stepping over. That ain't, we're, not live, we're not living divorced anymore. We're not living apart anymore. We're not living like that anymore. We're not going to treat each other like that anymore. We're not going to end up like that anymore. My children aren't going to experience not having dad or mom in their life. My children are not going to experience the hatred, the evil, the abuse that I had because Jesus has healed me and I love him. I'm passing down a blessing, not a curse to my family. I've, I've drawn that line of addiction and alcoholism and drug addiction of survival marriages. I've drawn that bloodline of Jesus and said, we're not living, Julie and I aren't living like that. My children aren't living in a home like that. We're gonna laugh in our household. We're gonna have joy and peace in our household. We're not gonna constantly be robbing our children and each other of security by threatening to leave and divorce and walking out and constantly rejecting each other. We're not gonna have that spirit of rejection if we're gonna fight till the end of the fight because no one's leaving the house. And we're going to fight to win for us to win and God to win. Not for pride to win or the hurt of our childhood to win. 
Not to repeat the negative behaviors of our families that we were raised in, but to change them. Let's change them today. Let's start today and say no more. No more pain. No more suffering. No more tears. No more insecurities. No more more devaluing the worth of our children, of our grandchildren, of our families. I'm going to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I'm going to love my family like I love myself. And love and joy and peace will be the normal not the abnormal in my home. Not the abnormal in my home. Go with me to Psalms 128. We're going to end there. Psalms 128. We're going to put it up on the screen in the New King James. I'm just going to read this as we close today. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Starts with love. He said, your wife. So he's talking about the first of that to men. He said, blessed is the man who eats the fruit of his hands that loves the Lord. Starts with loving the Lord. Blessed is the man who loves the Lord. Listen, I obey God because I love him, not because I, I have some religion that makes me. I'm in a relationship. I do things that Julie asked me to do. And she does things I ask her to do, not because we have to. I don't make her. She doesn't make me. I do it because I love her and she loves me. It's the same with God. I do things for my children I don't always want to do, but I do it because I love them. I obey my father because I love him and he loves me. We're in a relationship that I don't want to violate and I don't want to break. When you love God, you'll be blessed. I'm a blessed man. All the the battles and fights that are in my life today do not compare to the blessings and goodness of God that I've tasted of and walked in uh, since I've known him. I've I've gotten to eat the fruit of my labor. And then it says, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. I'm going to say three things about a vine. Vines first cling. Husbands, your wife, they want to cling to you, but they got to trust you. The Bible also says to the man in Genesis, it says, you will leave your father and mother and it says, cleave or cling to your wife. We're designed to cling to each other like vines. I mean, if you've ever had to cut down vines, you see how they intertwine they are, how strong they get when they intertwine. I mean, it's hard to kill a vine. I mean, you got to chop and I mean, and then what do vines do when they cling together and they start to grow? What happens? They, do they grow down? How do they grow? Up, they climb. When you cling together, man, when, when you as a husband allow your wife to cling to you, you will cause her to begin to climb and you'll climb together. She'll cause you to begin to climb and you'll climb and you'll achieve things that, man, no other family member has ever achieved. I love it when I deal with families. They're the first ones to own a home. They're the first ones to raise children in a Christian atmosphere. They're the first ones to ever walk in the true blessings of God. They're the first ones to be debt-free. They're the first ones to not be divorced. They're the first ones for their children to all graduate high school. They're the first ones to graduate high school and college. Why? Because they love the Lord their God. And when you have a husband and wife that cling to each other, you'll cause each other to begin to climb and you'll achieve things and accomplish things uh, in, the, in your career, in your family that you only dreamed of accomplishing. Then what else do they, they cling, then they climb, and then they do one other thing. Vines begin to build clusters, clusters of grapes. Grapes can be great grape juice, but they also turn grapes into wine. The Bible says, I man, if you'll allow your wife to cling to you and you'll help her climb, she'll, she'll intoxicate you. 
And when you begin to serve her, and you're not, you're not, man, I'm tired when I get home, pastor. You're not, you're not practical about these things. Listen, I'm tired when I get home, but that does, that does not end my day. My day ends when everybody's in bed. My day doesn't stop when I get home. I'm going to help my wife. I'm the best potato pillar there is. She gives me the potatoes in the bowl. I turn on the sports or news, and I potato peel. But we serve each other, and we've caused each other to climb. And as we climb, we, we start to minister to our children, and they see. They see what Julie and I didn't get to see growing up. Her father died when she was five, and my father wasn't a Christian man. But man, that line of Jesus, we crossed over it, said, oh, my kids and my grandkids are going to see two Christian uh, mom and dad and grandma, pops and Grammy. Well, oh, they're going to know pops and Grammy love the Lord. It won't be perfect, but it's going to be Campbell's soup. Mm, 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 good. Your wife should be like a fruitful vine. She'll be fruitful in the very heart of your house. The very heart of your house will be a fruitful vine called your wife. Your children will be like olive plants all around your. You got to have a table. That means you need to gather with your family. Eat around a table. Not just eat around a table, but gather together and do things together as family. As family. They'll be like olive plants. Here's what I know about olive plants. Olive plants can turn into olive trees, and they can produce oil for 40 straight consecutive years. But olive plants, to turn into that, need a lot of nurturing. They need the absence of evil, but they need the presence of good. And you just bringing home a paycheck and putting food on the tables, that is good, but it's not the final and best good you can give them. There's a bunch of screaming, yelling, shouting, fighting constantly in your home. It, man, it does something inside of kids. I've known kids that say, I'd rather my parents be divorced than fight the way they do. They act like they hate, they, they yell at each other like they hate each other. And I'm like, what a shame that even the kids are wishing for the divorce. The breakup of their family because that, listen, if you're a child and you have that in your home, you begin to pray for your parents. When they aren't fight like that, you begin to pray, God, I thank you for the spirit of unity. I thank you for your Holy Spirit to invade my home, to minister to my parents, to cause unity and not division. I come against the spirit of hatred, divorce, pride, and selfishness in Jesus' name. Fight for your family. Fight for your parents. Fight for your siblings. Fight for your future. Fight. Fight in the spirit. Don't ever give up, back down, or stop. It's a lifetime of standing. It's a lifetime of loving around your table. Go to the next verse, please. Behold, thus shall be the man, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. He starts with loving God and then fearing God. Then he goes next. So it starts in the family. Then it says, the Lord bless you out of Zion. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the Zion that we live in now. It says it specifically. Zion now is the church. I know parents that say, man, I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, I've just been too tired to go to church. You know what you're telling your parents? Parents, what you're telling your children? Church is optional. It's not a big deal. God said a successful family 
Number one, they love God. Number two, they love each other. They spend time together. They cause each other to climb and grow. They nurture each other. They serve each other. And they go to church. Where does it say? The Lord bless you. What? Out of church. Oh, man. Some of you don't even realize many of your blessings don't just come from you. It comes from the church you go to. I believe it. I believe that many of my blessings have come straight out of the church. Why do I believe it? Because God said it. The church you attend matters. It matters the church you attend. It matters what they believe and what they don't believe. It matters. And you'll be blessed out of church. Don't ever be too tired to come to church. I love it that when I'm out of town or something's up, I know my wife, I'll text her and say, what are you doing? She goes, I'm in church. She's in church. My kids are in church. They know to go to church. That's what families do. That's what people who love God do. And then it says, there will be blessings out of the church. And it says, and you may see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. That means it starts with family, then church, then the city. Then it says, yes, may you see. Go, 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 go. You were doing it right. Thank you. Yes, may you see your children's children peace upon Israel. It's saying that it will go from you to to your wife, to your children, to your church, to your community, to your city, to your nation, and that's your children's children. I, I know people all the time, my kids even ask me, Dad, are we going to have anything left of America? And I'm like, I don't know about America, but I know about God's kingdom. There'll be plenty left for you, plenty blessings left for you, plenty purpose left for you, plenty good things left for you, your wife, and your children. Why? Because God's on the throne, not America. God's on the throne, not Joe Biden. God's on the throne, not Russia. Not China. God is on the throne. There'll be plenty left for you, your children and your children's children. Because there's more than enough of God to go around. More than enough of his goodness. But if we want to see the whole tide of a nation turned, you don't, it doesn't start with you thinking Washington, D.C. needs to change. It starts in your house and in you and in me and my house. Listen, every eye closed. You notice God just keeps saying, blessing, blessed. Blessed is the man who loves God. Blessed is the man, oh man, whose wife is a fruitful vine. Blessed is the man whose children are like olive plants around his table. Olive, olive, man, they use olive oil. And a lot of those oils were used in the anointing oils, man. And Man, that means your children are going to be anointed by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the will of God for their life. Man, come on now. That's, that's what it's about. Your children's children will be blessed. Listen, if there's hurt and pain in your family, in you, and you have to give God permission to heal it. You have to give him permission to heal it. And it starts by submitting your whole life to him. Not part of your life, your whole life. Starts by submitting your whole life to him. He'll begin to heal the hurts and wounds that have happened or happening. And only he can turn a wound into a scar where it doesn't hurt anymore. Where it doesn't direct your decisions 
your outcomes or your reactions or actions in this life anymore, anymore. It doesn't impact you, control you anymore. Only he can do it. Only he can do that. Many of us come from traumatic, dramatic situations and growing up as children. But we don't stay there. So come as you are. But when you give your heart, you won't stay the same. Don't expect to stay the same in the same sin, in the same junk, in the same stuff. Don't don't expect to stay the same way. Don't expect to continue to deal with mental and emotional issues and things. Expect God to do what he does. Heal you. Heal you. Deliver you. Change you. Give you a better life than you've ever dreamed of. Blessed. Blessed. Happy. Fortunate, prosperous, and enviable. Blessed. Blessed church. Whether you're online or here, whether you're watching right now live or later. If you're not right with God, it's time to get right. Right now. Right now. Today is the day of your salvation where God saves your life from you, from your sin and the sin of others towards you. He releases you from your past. He starts the healing process right now. Setting you free right now. Today, if you'll give your life, submit your life. You've got to volunteer to do it. He will not force it upon you. You've got to want to be free and want to be healed. You got to want the life that you dreamed of. If you're not right with God, let's pray. Let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. If you've never known Him, let's pray right now. If He doesn't know you, He knows all about you, but He doesn't know you. You're not in a relationship with Him. Let's pray right now and get that right. If you've known him and you've run away from him, you've become stagnant, maybe even worse than stagnant, rebellious against the things of God, come home. If either one of those are you and you're online right now, send us a message right now. So I'm going to pray for the first time or the next time. If you're here in this room, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand up and testify and say, God, I need to get right with you today. Just put it up high and put it down. And then we're going to, right where we're seated, we're going to pray. Right where you're at at home, watching online, we're going to pray. So here we go. Online, go ahead and send the message right here, right now. One, two, three. Just put your hand up and say, I'm going to get right with God today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's generations counting on it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Men and women, there's generations. They're counting on you. Thank you. Anybody else? Grandma, Grandpa, they're counting on you to get right with God and help heal the wounds. Maybe you caused. He'll help you do that too. Anybody else? He'll help you forgive the ones that have hurt you. But you got to want it. You got to want to forgive. You got to want to be healed. Anybody else just raise their hand? Looking around one last time. Thank you. 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 Thank you, guys. 
Let's pray together right now. All those that raise their hand, just be sincere with God. Be honest and sincere. Say this, say, God, I come today. Those online say the same thing. God, I come today because I believe you are God and God alone and that you love us and you sent Jesus to die for my sins and anyone else who would just believe in you. I believe in you. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead and he's alive. And because I believe that, I ask you by the blood of Jesus to forgive me of all my sins, to heal me from the wounds that I have caused others in myself, to deliver me from unforgiveness, shame, and guilt right now in Jesus' name. And I declare, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of all my life. Everything in me, everything I have to offer you is yours. Teach me now by your word, by the Holy Spirit that dwells within me right now how to live for you, how to live in your blessings, and how to pass those down to my children's children. I thank you today. I'm right with you on my way to blessing and to be a blessing. Thank you. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Let me, let me speak this real quick. I come against the spirit of molestation, of abuse, sexual, mental, physical abuse on the people that prayed here today in the name of Jesus. You foul spirit of hurt and pain, rejection and abandonment. Go now in the name of Jesus. Yep, go now in the name of Jesus. Spirit of anger, in depression that comes with it, discouragement, low self-esteem, you go with it in the name of unforgiveness and bitterness. You go to, I'll pull you out by the root in the name of Jesus. Go now. Leave these people. They are blood-bought by Jesus. You have no more rights to them in the name of Jesus. I remove your rights by his blood. Your rights have been removed and now go in Jesus' name. And Father, I speak health and healing over the, our fa my family and the families of this church, those families watching online, over my mother-in-law, Nancy Johnson. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And Father, we give you all praise. We give you all glory and all honor. Without you, there is no good in our lives. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name. So be it. Amen. Come on. Let's thank the Lord for how good he is.